0: survive and thrive. This is a podcast that brings you stories and perspectives on how leaders and organizations can not only transform to survive, but thrive in change. I am your host and co-founder of Kinsinity, Jennifer Ayers. We're kicking off this podcast series featuring 19 stories and perspectives on how COVID-19 has created an imperative for change and what leaders and organizations are doing to respond to that change. Last week, we wrapped up our episode 19 with Dr. Ghosh. And so today is our 20th episode, our bonus episode in this series, for me to be able to take a moment to look back with you and reflect on some of the incredible insights from my guests. If there's been one main theme threaded throughout the episodes, I think it's been about resilience. Although in some ways not surprising that resilience surfaces as an overarching theme reflecting back on our experiences with the pandemic, for some, like my last guest, Dr. Partha Ghosh, he observes that resilience was one of the positives and a good surprise for him.
1: I was Very positively surprised, which we have known, we talked about, but I was directly involved because I was not born during the Second World War. I could imagine the struggles that people went through. So the COVID-19 war was the first real global war our generation has faced. And I was surprised with the human resiliency. Think of so many families lost their father, mother, wife, husband daughter son grandfather some many families lost their loved ones but i think we continued with a positive spirit life has moved on so i must say i was surprised with the physical intellectual spiritual and emotional resiliency of people that came out very very clear
0: yet i think i had yet to learn the true meaning of this word and while the definition of resilience is the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties or toughness, what enables this capacity? In looking back on this year, I have witnessed guests accomplish unbelievable things in a short amount of time. I have heard of businesses withstanding the test of COVID or being born out of it. I've been blown away by the strength and the courage of the people. So why are some people and organizations able to survive in times of great stress or even thrive, while others maybe not? Where does resilience come from?
1: I personally believe to survive, we have to thrive, and to thrive, we have to survive. So this is not one versus the other. It is is both the the words. Apart from riding well, uh, they belong together.
2: Seeing <laughs> like resilience, both like personal resilience. And I think that goes back to the people who surprised me as being the natural leaders, having that resilience, leading by example with their own gratitude and positivity and just companies like being aware of the tools that are out there and how to leverage them best for this new world. I think that crises bring out the best and the worst in people, and COVID was no exception to that. I had direct experience with an amazing group of people who all rallied, who dropped what they were doing, who found time in their lives to come together and, and really put in the time, effort, introduce, open up their networks, and do everything they could to help solve this problem for our country. And, and I think that's fantastic. That was such a pleasant, beautiful thing that came out of COVID.
0: In my opinion, I think there are three key ingredients to resilience. Purpose, empathy, and adaptability. Let's start with purpose. I like to think of purpose as your so what? What drives you in life? Why are you here? Why do you do what you do? Having a sense of purpose helps you discover and take action towards creating meaning and hence happiness or fulfillment. But it does so much more than that. It can help you stay grounded and provide perspective, especially during times of difficulty. It can drive individuals to do amazing things. As we heard in the stories shared by Kirsten Curtis about her efforts to support the distribution of PPE during times of crisis, and others, they said, "Kirsten, please
2: can you help us? Um, we we don't have PPE. We we you know we had all these masks and they got stolen from the hospital, or we ran out, or you know I, I can't I can't get thermometers. Like, please, aren't you in supply chain? Like, can't you do anything?" And by the third or fourth call, I thought, "Well, this is interesting. You know, I, I do have a background in supply chain and the specialization in public health supply chains. I've spent the last four years helping companies grow and scale. This is essentially a scaling problem. I mm-hmm. think I can help. I, I, God, it. I'm going to help.
1: I got to realizing through, uh, you know, through the news and and especially through watching what was going on early in, in New York that likely ventilators were going to be an issue, and that people that were all of a sudden, you know, dying in, in record numbers seemed to be dying from lack of uh, ventilator equipment. So. Being an inventor and an engineer and altogether a crazy person, I, I decided to see if there's anything that I could do, and uh, quickly came to uh, to the concept of taking CPAP equipment, uh, which is you know in, in use all around the country for sleep apnea treatment. I think most people are at least vaguely familiar with it, and converting that into uh, ventilators.
0: Not to mention. All of the research that's out there that supports having a sense of purpose connects us to an overall sense of well-being. Dan Buettner, well-known author of The Blue Zones, which is a non-scientific term given to the geographic regions that are home to some of the world's oldest people, identified that one of the most important factors that most centurions share Is the strong sense of purpose. So, if purpose is so important, then why is it hard to prioritize it? In the words of author and speaker Rob Holman in his book on purpose called Lead the Way, he says, We have an innate sense that we were made for more, but we rarely talk about it, only on occasion talk about it, and almost never do anything about it. I hope that will be changing in the future, and that we might talk more about what the Japanese refer to as ikigai, or that which makes life worth living. Basically, having a purpose in life. So why does this matter for organizations? Because according to a study conducted by PwC called Putting Purpose to Work, Not only do employees need to hear leaders talk genuinely about why their work matters, but leaders need to show that the organization's purpose really is central to the business strategy and the decisions that comprise it before employees can be confident advocates. Purpose leads to greater profits, too. In research conducted by Millward Brown and Jim Stengel, they created a list of the world's 50 fastest-growing brands based on 10 years of empirical research involving 50,000 companies. Known as the Stangle 50, they found that these purpose-driven companies outperformed the S&P 500 by 400% on an average in the decade since 2001. According to research by Accenture, 65% of consumers are influenced to buy a brand product, or service by the words, actions, values, and beliefs of a company's employees, not just the CEO or marketing spokesperson. Having purpose can also help organizations stay focused during times of crisis and guide them in how to pivot. We heard real-time examples of how that shows up during this recent pandemic. For example, Jacqueline Meyer of Slice had to say, Times of Crisis can also help organizations reflect on their purpose. One of
2: the interesting things about Slice that was there before I got there, and I'm trying to help us preserve it, is our organizational superpower is the incredible belief and commitment to our mission to keep local thriving.
0: And in my conversation with CEO of Luxme, Anna Bjorkenwell, she talks about how times of crisis can give you an opportunity to not only evaluate your purpose, but to consider your social impact as well in episode six.
3: I think it goes back to the social impact aspect. You should never waste a good crisis, right? Of Something along the lines of that saying. I think when things are falling apart, it's also the time to rebuild it in a way that you feel proud of. And for businesses right now, it's, you know, it's, yes, looking at the immediate need obviously first and foremost safety and the well-being of you know the people you know, on the team the people around you but I think as well like taking that time to look at how can we infuse social impact into our business whatever whatever the industry is you know look at the vendors that you're working with or looking looking at the supply chain at, at various levels and just seeing how can we connect with what we're out to do in the world? And like, what are we up to in, in, this, in this life? What do we want our business to be
0: about? However, despite purpose being so important fundamentally, at the leadership level, there's a sizable disconnect between how important purpose is claimed to be for a business and how central purpose actually is for the business. Also in that same PwC report, 79% of business leaders believe that purpose is central to the business success and to the organization's existence. Yet, only 34% agree that purpose is a guidepost for the leadership decision-making. Perhaps organizations now have an opportunity to close that gap and create an even greater opportunity for thriving in the future. Companies can help their employees connect to their individual purpose and connect back to the meaning and the mission and the vision of a company by creating a purpose statement that either points to or reinforces a larger aspirational vision or goal. This is not simply an economic statement. It helps those involved with an organization understand how they are making a difference and gives them a sense of meaning. At the end of the day, we all need meaning, both as individuals and as organizations. And now, our next ingredient, empathy. So, what about empathy? How does that help an organization stay resilient? Employees do not feel a sense of commitment to help an organization if that same organization has not shown a sense of commitment to their well-being. Recently, Glassdoor published its 2020 Best Places to Work Employees' Choice Report. And not surprisingly, some of the common themes surrounding the companies that landed on the list related to empathy for their employee needs, such as flexible work arrangements, career progression support and learning, unlimited paid time off, coaching and mentorship programs, great health care, Good 401k saving programs, these are just a few to name. These companies responded to the needs of their particular workforce, and it's returning their investment tenfold. Author and meditation teacher Oren J. Sofer describes empathy as the capacity to tune into what someone else is experiencing. In an interview with Dan Harris, he goes on to say, When we empathize with someone else, when we generally listen to them and give them an experience of feeling understood, there is a much greater willingness to listen to us and to work together. He comments that, interestingly enough, when we offer empathy to someone else, it regulates our nervous system, and that helps us be more resilient. Almost every guest I interviewed brought up the need for empathy during this time. How could you not be empathetic? We were all in the same place almost overnight, dealing with getting online, getting our kids online, shushing cats and dogs out of our room when we're trying to conduct a Zoom call, figuring out how to structure our days in a remote environment. I appreciated Steve Van Valen's point of view on how to express empathy through curiosity in episode eight.
1: What if we tried this? Like, how might it work if we attempted this approach, I mean, during this time? Like, what could we do that would knock our competition right on their keister? It's these questions that we can ask that sort of provoke a new level of curiosity and thinking from people that can make a difference.
0: And Jason Magazine explores this topic and the importance of an engaged workforce through crisis in episode nine. Companies can also show empathy in supporting their employees' needs and lifestyle requirements. More organizations now are looking to put structures in place to support continued remote work as almost everyone we spoke to saw that productivity stayed about the same or increased with their workforce being remote. In a report published by Microsoft called The New Future of Work from Research that Microsoft conducted into the pandemic's impact on work practices discovered that a majority of their workforce would prefer to stay in some kind of hybrid model going forward, providing them the flexibility to work remotely. Rackspace executive Ed Skronsky had this to say on the subject. I think
1: it's safe to say that there's really no going back to the old mode of working, where most companies prefer that their employees work in an office or a group setting. Especially for many who believe the reason for working this way was largely around ease activity and productivity, or perhaps even based on the notion that a, that a presence was required locally to properly serve customers or their customers locally. I also believe that there are other benefits for office settings that are only now being fully understood. And I've talked about the merits and the things you realize when you work from home, but there are a bunch of them that also are being fully realized in an office setting besides those typical metrics. And we're just now sort of understanding the merits of those, and perhaps even striking a different balance between work from home and what will be the office of the
0: future. So I think having greater empathy for your employees' needs is here to stay. These kinds of trends were already happening before the pandemic, as companies like Luna were already in the works planning to focus on helping organizations create a personalized employment experience, which would allow for more flexible work benefits. As Jess Pagoni shares in episode 10 about this subject, Employers can no longer afford to not pay attention to a more personalized employment experience.
2: Retention in the US is a $1 trillion problem. It is a, a really big deal. So, voluntary turnover costs businesses a trillion dollars a year. And that voluntary turnover is, is really hard on small and mid sized businesses in particular because. You lose one or two people that you've trained and invested in, and all of a sudden now you're, you're trying to find that, you know, attract new talent to fill those positions, but also fill the, the productivity gap that's left behind.
0: Speaking of flexibility, then, our last ingredient in creating a resilient organization is Adaptability. Organizations that nurture flexibility can adapt faster and respond more quickly in times of change. It's why models like the Agile model became so popular in product development, for example. My guest in episode 12, Boss Schwartz, change management leader at Johnson & Johnson, shares a very specific reason why and how companies can practice being flexible by establishing change management principles and building a change management capability in their organization. He also mentions, I might add, the importance of having a North Star. Again, pointing back to that sense of purpose.
1: But in times of crisis, it is very helpful to have a very clear North Star. So you can go into the tactics. We need to, of course, in a crisis, you need to sort things out. But flip it as soon as possible to why are we doing it this way? And how do we want to be remembered after this? Because that gives you your North Star. An organization can have a vision, a mission. You can have a credo or anything else. But having that conversation about where do we want to be once this is over will give, give energy to go on and brings resilience.
0: So why is it important to be agile, to adapt, to be able to change quickly? Well, if there's one thing that is certain in this world, it is that change happens. And staying agile allows you to respond to those changes and not just survive, but thrive. In his book, Think Like Amazon, former employee John Rossman highlights that Amazon's sophisticated logistical expertise didn't come from wanting to be a supply chain company. Rather, they were seeking to understand the changing needs of a customer and that a good customer experience was greatly impacted by flexibility, speed, and quality of the delivery. Organizations that can stay agile and pivot can do incredible things, like Ducati transforming to become one of the most well-known superbike manufacturers in the world, to AES controls converting CPAP machines into ventilators during the pandemic crisis. In conclusion, we all experienced some remarkable things during this past year, and there were so many learnings that came out of it. We've seen some amazing developments, like the acceleration of technologies, Dr. Ghosh and Jason Fields both expressed in their episode interviews that technology has accelerated almost 10 years. This creates amazing opportunities for us and for businesses in the future. Also, we've seen phenomenal collaboration and people coming together to align behind a common purpose to extend care to all of humanity. And so, Perhaps now this has created a greater opportunity for us to focus and create a renewed sense of care for humanity and extending that to others and extending that in all that we do for all of us to stay resilient during times of change. Thank you everyone for joining this week's episode of Survive and Thrive Podcast. This concludes our first season of our podcast, and I hope that you enjoyed listening. Stay tuned next week as I start to dive into next season's themes and what we'll be talking about. Until next time, don't just survive, thrive.